0: Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 30. Words are also found in your worship folder. Let me remind you that this is the word of the Lord. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marvelled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth and they said is not this joseph's son and he said to them doubtless you will quote to me this proverb physician heal yourself what we have heard of you at capernaum do here in your hometown as well and he said truly i say to you no prophet is acceptable in his hometown But in truth, I tell you, there are many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. He went away. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Lord, we come to this time in the service. An amazing thing takes place here, Lord. Something that is far beyond our understanding. This is no mere lecture of a man to men. But there is something supernatural going on here. This is the the Word of God that is being delivered into the hearts of sinners who, in ourselves, are are dull and slow to understand. This is the Word of God that that comes into our ears and into our hearts, and we are able to receive and understand and be changed because of this work of the Spirit. You are using a mere man to speak. To mere men and women and children, and yet you are doing amazing things by the power of God. So I'd ask that you would open up our, our ears this morning, that you would give us hearts that are eager and ready. Lord, make us make us thirsty this morning for living water, and then nourish us with yourself. And may your name be praised. The name of Jesus, the Word who became flesh. Amen. You may be seated.
1: Just come right here. Well, good morning. It's good to be together. I hope your hearts are as full as mine. Uh, just the majesty of God, the the wonder of this world that He has given us. Uh, This morning we have the opportunity to have the word opened uh, to us yet again in service of this Missions Month by uh, a friend. This time it's Dr. Greg Perry, who's right here. I first met Greg in St. Louis uh, some years ago as he came to teach uh, New Testament at Covenant Theological Seminary. He spent some time previously on the mission field in Australia. Well, at Covenant Seminary, got very involved with the city of St. Louis, which is a a major center for refugee resettlement in the United States, and led sort of the city initiative that was a cooperative venture with uh, Covenant Seminary, as well as with uh, just local ministries and churches throughout the city. Recently, has taken up a position with Third Millennium Ministries, many of you have uh, we're in Sunday school, heard a little bit about their mission, uh, a seminary training for the world for free. So he's the vice president of strategic projects for them, and uh, that role takes him all over uh, in just helping to bring God's word and make it accessible to. Uh, the the hundreds, thousands, even millions of people who are coming to faith in Christ that they might be disciples. But today he's going to open the Word for us so that we might hear it and that we might uh, more and more reflect our Savior. So, Greg, it's a pleasure to have you thank preach a word to us, brother. Good to be and, here. Thank uh,
2: you. I want to thank uh, your pastors for inviting me, and it's. Uh, As Andrew mentioned, Darlene and I just moved to Florida recently, so I especially want to thank you for adjusting the weather for me. I really appreciate that. Um, What an incredible experience. We've had the opportunity to sing together in different languages, to eat uh, Egyptian food together yesterday and last night out with uh, the pastors and their families to uh, eat some good Mexican food together. I wouldn't have thought Grand Rapids for Mexican food, but it was really good. It was really good. Um, We've been looking for a church home, and uh, let me just say, can we join your church? (laughs) This is just fantastic. It's been an incredible experience to be a part of uh, this celebration of our God, who is the Lord over all the earth, and to see the kaleidoscope of gifts He's given to you uh, to declare His glory together. What a privilege to open God's Word together, so let me invite you to turn your attention to Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 4. We kind of have a very unique opportunity this morning. Jesus takes up one of the most important freedom texts of the scroll of Isaiah, and we kind of get an interpretive exercise. We get to look over the shoulder of Jesus as he reads this text. Luke puts them in the first place. He starts Jesus' ministry in Nazareth with these words. And so it kind of acts like a frame, an interpretive frame, for us to understand uh, Jesus' ministry. It was a homecoming of sorts. Jesus had grown up in Nazareth. Everybody loved to tell that story on him, how he got lost that time coming back from Passover. Some of them have taught him the Torah. Some of those in the congregation that day had taught him how to sing the Psalms. Some of them remembered when he was just a kid playing in the dirt and the dads would gather together to try and solve the practical practical problems that faced the community. You see, the synagogue wasn't just a worship space. It wasn't just a center for worship. It was a school. It was a community center. It was a central bank. It was the place where men and women would gather and Deal with the problems of that week, the power plays of the Herodians, the issues of being occupied by the Romans. Some of them would have their sons and daughters seized. They would have to serve the kitchens and the animals of the Roman army. And of course, that meant they couldn't plow the fields. Who would need our help this week, this month? Which families had their property seized because they could not pay the onerous taxes to the occupying Romans? That Sabbath morning, the people had heard about what Jesus had done at Capernaum. They had heard that he had healed. That he had healed Peter's mom. They also heard that he had cast out someone who had been possessed of demons. But the thing that they wanted to learn more about is they filed in that Saturday morning, was what Jesus had been talking about. You see, Jesus had come declaring that the kingdom of God was at hand, that the kingdom of heaven had arrived. What would Jesus say? What would Jesus do? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to send at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant. Everyone in the synagogue was transfixed on him, and he began to say, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, and everyone spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. This son of Nazareth understood their need. He understood their situation. He was Joseph's son. He knew them, a son of Galilee. What they really needed was liberty. They needed to be released from the oppression that they were under, from all of these sacrifices they were having to make just to make ends meet day in and day out because of the occupying force and the puppet king, Herod. Dramatic rescues are exhilarating, aren't they? Andrew and Lisa will remember the time when in our lazy river town of St. Louis, all of the TV trucks, all of the satellite dishes, everyone just sort of came to our town. Five days before they arrived, all of the news reporters, we had learned the very frightening news that a young 13-year-old boy named Ben Onby had been abducted from a local bus stop. The Kirkwood police had been serving a warrant at an apartment complex in another matter, and they caught a break. You see, one of Ben's friends had seen a white pickup truck who was leaving the scene where Ben had been abducted. The FBI kidnapping unit, the sheriff's office, and the Kirkwood police got themselves together. They raided the apartment. Unbelievably, Ben was there. Ben was alive. It was incredible to watch the law enforcement gather that day who'd seen the worst of human beings, some with tears streaming down their faces, some with big big grins across their faces because not only had Ben Ownby been found after five days, but Sean Hornbeck, who'd been missing for five years. The spectacle of grace is electrifying. God's grace and God's mercy is not only for our sins, it is for the ways in which we are sinned against. And the synagogue of Nazareth understood that, and they were transfixed by the freedom text of the prophet Isaiah. Could it be That the time had come when God would remember his promises to the house of David. When once again, a ruler from David's house would be on the throne. And we would be free. Restored as image bearers of the king. So that in every part of our life, in our economic life, in our spiritual life, in our political life. In our sexuality. In every dimension of life, we might reflect the goodness of our God. Well, Jesus wasn't done. He pressed on further with a word of explanation. We've already sort of seen this because there in verse 18, Jesus has inserted a phrase, not from Isaiah 61, but from Isaiah 58, verse 6. Look with me back at verse 18. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. Speaking of what true worship looks like. That a true fast of God also involves paying just wages to your workers. You see, the sin problem is not just a Roman problem. The sin problem is not just that other who is doing things to us. No, the sin problem is in us. It's in our hearts. The freedom that God brings through us is a freedom from the power of sin that reaches into every square inch of the world. This word, liberty, this word, release, this word, forgiveness, that's right. They're all three the same Greek word. The reign of God has come so that we might be freed, yes, from the unjust debts of onerous taxes, that we might be liberated from prison being put there because we couldn't pay them. But what is behind all of that is a cosmic battle with the enemy, the true enemy, with sin and with death and with the devil. And Jesus has come to free that. Jesus' word of explanation picks up a proverb. You see, proverbs have a way of capturing human nature, of observing human nature and sort of summarizing it. And Jesus says this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Now what does that proverb mean in the context of Jesus' sermon? Jesus went on to talk about the ministry of Elijah to the widow of Zarephath, who lived not in Israel, but who lived in Phoenicia in the city of Sidon. Jesus went on to preach about the ministry of the prophet Elisha, who would be sent to a Syrian general who had leprosy, not to the people of Israel. A prophet is not accepted in his hometown. Jesus presses the matter of grace. You see, the spectacle of grace is electrifying, but the implications of grace are enraging. You see, Israel's God is not just a tribal deity. Israel's God is the God of the Phoenicians also. He's the God also of the Syrians. And here's the hard part for the synagogue in Nazareth that Saturday He's the God of the Romans too. It's a hard word for the congregation, but freedom is not just for the family. That the power of sin is something that we must deal with as well, that it's not just ethnically captivated in one particular people who are so evil and so different from us, but they're like us in every way. No, forgiveness is for the outsider as well. Forgiveness is for my enemy too. Well, it's about two years ago now, just a few days after her mother and... Eight other African-Americans had been shot to death in a Bible study at Emmanuel Church in Charleston. And our sister Nadine Collier said those three words that shocked a nation. It was the day that Dylan Roof, the self-confessed killer, was being arraigned in the court. And she looked at him. She said, I forgive you. You took something very precious from me. I will never get to talk to my mother again. I'll never be able to hold her again, to eat with her again. But I forgive you. God has forgiven a sinner like me. So I forgive you. Still heavy with grief, last year the Washington Post carried a reflection upon the Charleston Nine, and they revisited with Nadine Collier, and she said this, Forgiveness isn't resignation. It isn't weak. It isn't easy. It means that you can fight everything and see everything head on, that you tell the truth. Forgiveness is powerful. Forgiveness doesn't evade justice. It requires justice. It speaks the truth. You see, that's what the prophet said in Isaiah chapter 1, that Zion would be be redeemed by justice. How did the prophet put it? Surely by his griefs he has borne our sorrows. By his stripes we have been healed. Forgiveness comes only when we tell the truth. Only when we pray the truth and see the truth about ourselves and our need for forgiveness. You see, the justice of God is not only a retributive justice, a justice that punishes sin. It does that. But the glory of this freedom text from Isaiah is that the justice of God is a restorative justice. It is one that wins a victory over violence, that doesn't meet violence with violence. A justice that is not only for sinners, but a justice that changes sinners. And perpetrators like you and like me. I have a new friend that I got to meet um, about 18 months ago. Every year I go out to Phoenix to teach a class with a group of churches out there and there's a Banyamalinge community there from uh, Rwanda and the Eastern Congo. Those of you who remember the genocide in Rwanda in in the 90s will know that the Tutsis had to flee Rwanda They fled into the eastern Congo, Congo, and then over a series of a number of years, with the knowledge and permission and encouragement of the Congolese government, Hutu militias would raid and round up uh, Tutsis and gather them into the death camps. This sister that I met in Phoenix is named Rose Mapendo. She and her husband and their children were fleeing from Rwanda into the Congo, and they got caught in the net of one of these Hutu militias. In a death camp right before her eyes and the eyes of her children, Rose saw her husband executed. At the time that he was killed, she was pregnant with twins. Laying on a dirt floor there in the death camps with no provisions, She would have to go into the woods and scrounge for wood so that she could make a fire, scrounge for roots so that she could find something to eat and for her children to eat. And because she is a sister in the Lord, because she's a Christian, she would pray. But Rose didn't like what she was hearing from God. Because the words that would come up into her heart, the words that came into her mind, were the words that Stephen echoed from the words of Jesus While Stephen was being killed and stoned to death. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. She said, no. She screamed at God, she told me. But when her twins were born, just a few days later, she decided to go God's way. And she went in front of the two army officers who had ordered the execution of her husband, And she stood in front of them and she said, I've named my children after you. They didn't know what to do. One of their wives brought tea, brought clothing for her because, out of cultural obligation, she had honored them by naming her children after her husband. And she needed to honor Rose. Why have you done this? They demanded. She said, I am not your enemy. I am your neighbor. I am your family member. My children bear your name. We bear together the image of the same God who made us. You see, forgiveness is not easy. It tells the truth. It requires justice. And justice must be done. Jesus bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. By justice, we have been redeemed. Luke would speak of another in the book of Acts who was standing there that day when Stephen was stoned. His name was Saul. Saul, a religious terrorist, giving consent to the murder of Stephen, rounding up Christians and dragging them into jail, would meet the risen Lord. And he would write this to his protege, Timothy. Timothy, a half-breed, not even a full Jew. He wrote to Timothy, I thank my Messiah, Jesus, who has given me strength, that he would appoint me to his service, even though I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man. I was shown mercy. The foremost of sinners, he says it again, I was shown mercy. The spectacle of grace is electrifying. But the implications of grace, the extent of it, are enraging. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to declare good news to the poor time and again. We hear the first person in that first part of what Jesus quotes from the Isaiah text that day. But turn with me, if you would, back to Isaiah chapter 61. And I want us to look together just for a moment here at the end as we close to an important shift in the pronouns of Isaiah 61 when we come to the whole point of the matter, the result clause. You'll see there in the first few verses, the first person, the Spirit of the Lord, is upon me. The Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to comfort those who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning. But notice the next part. You see that word that or so that? That is the result, that is the purpose of grace, that they may be called the Oaks of Righteousness, that they might build up the ancient ruins and that they should raise up the former devastations, that they would repair the ruined cities and the devastations of many generations those who gathered for Jesus' sermon that day in the synagogue had forgotten their family mission. The charter to Abraham's family was that you would be blessed with offspring and land so that you would be a blessing to all the families of the earth. The reach of God's grace has come to you and to me that it might go through us To every square inch of Grand Rapids, to every square inch of your workplace, to every square inch of your job, to every square inch of your extended family. But you see, a well-taught congregation like this would know that every square inch reference, right? Abraham Kuyper, good Dutchman, that every square inch Jesus says, that's mine. It belongs to me. But let's not get confused, Every square inch is not enjoying the reign of God. In fact, He's calling us to move into every square inch that is broken, that is ruined by sin. I have friends back at New City Fellowship, Jim and Jennifer Owens. They've raised four children, and they were praying about next things in their life, like some of you are praying about that in your life in the context of this Missions Month. Their kids were out of the house, Jim's a building contractor, they surely had enough to do in their lives. But then an email came from one of our pastors, Leon Mukindi, who's from the Congo, he said we have a number of families who've just arrived into St. Louis, uh, would you be willing uh, to host some refugee families for Thanksgiving and tell them a little bit about, about the celebration and what it, what it means? And so Jim and Jennifer said, yes, we'll do that. They had two families over. They pulled up another chair. They pulled out another plate. They enjoyed the time together. But Jennifer was really gripped by one of the women in particular, a single mom, who had two teenage daughters. And this mother, she couldn't speak any English. I don't know if you know how this works, but those who arrive in our country as refugees, only have 90 days to find a job. And many of them don't speak English. That's very difficult to do. And so what we've learned from the refugee families that we have come to know is that they open up and they receive other family members and they make it possible for those who arrive later after them to have more time to find a job. But Jennifer started praying. She was troubled by the prospects for this family. How are they going to make it? And the Lord brought to mind Ephesians 4 where Paul talks about work with your hands that you might have in order to share with others. And so she invited the families over again and they shared tea and they started to um, get out some um, fabric. They started to make some jewelry together. They learned about each other and the things that they enjoyed doing. And they shared uh, the gospel together. They learned English by reading the scriptures and sharing stories. They did practical things like go to the grocery store and learn how to drive. That was 2008. Today, Foray, Friends of Refugees and Immigrants, employs 12 immigrant families. And last year, through their website alone, they sold over $60,000 of handmade, handcrafted jewelry, and onesies, and purses, and beautiful scarves. You see, this freedom, this liberty that the Lord is talking about, it's economic freedom, it's freedom from debts, and onerous injustice after 17 years in refugee camps, an opportunity to provide for their families. Yes, the kingdom of God is about economic liberty, but it's also about the fact that this family is now a part of our church. They've experienced the forgiveness of their sins as well. They've come to know the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and come to be part of His family at New City Fellowship. I don't know what your square inch is this morning, what you're praying about in terms of your opportunities. Our square inches all look different, and that's part of the beauty of what we're learning together in this mission's emphasis is the diversity of expression in God's kingdom and a diversity of gifts. But I've learned two things about those who follow that call to be a blessing to others. Two things that are pervasive throughout, that are common among all. Number one, they don't run away from the broken ruins and the devastations. They go to them. And number two, they make room for others They pull up another chair. They make room in their schedule. They pull out another plate to share the grace that God has given to us. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this incredible freedom text. We thank you that you are not a Gnostic God who is just interested in our souls, but that you are a God who made us bodies, who made us families, who made us economic beings, who made us political beings, that you are Lord over all, every dimension of life, and that your liberty is for every dimension of life. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to do it together, that we're not alone, that you call us into church families, into this incredible mission to disciple the nations. Lord, thank you for Christ church. Thank you for all the square inches of Grand Rapids metro area and all the relationships that reach out into the world through this church. Lord, would you would just show us the next step. Show us the next square inch. And give us more of your spirit that we might walk toward the broken places and not run away from them. We pray for your glory and your great name's sake. Amen.